Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and with the recent pandemic scare over an Ebola apocalypse, even if zombies don't start walking the earth, at the very least, it's opened up the eyes of many of our oblivious citizens that pandemic disease is a very real concern that can creep up on you fast, with very little warning, and it can quickly take control of even our entire nation. While I'm not hopeful that it will truly waken the masses of sheeple out there who take no steps whatsoever to prepare themselves, I know our listeners have their eyes wide open, and this week I have a very special interview with Frank Bohan about how you can take your pandemic preparedness yet one step closer, and even address an area that few survivalists even think about. You'll see what I mean, and get some really cool step-by-step instructions I know you're going to love. So, let's go ahead and get started, shall we? Check this out. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. The Survival Law of Three states that you can live three weeks without food, three days without water, and three minutes without air. Now, while many people who are taking steps to become more self-reliant and prepared for any type of disaster are focusing in on food and water needs, it's this last resource that gets little attention and is taken for granted, perhaps at your future peril. The bottom line is this. Without clean, oxygen-filled, breathable air, you and those you love will die. It's as plain and simple as that. So now comes the question. Is your home or survival retreat outfitted with a means to provide you and your family with clean air while the space around you is contaminated or choking out your fellow citizens? Now, sadly, for most, the obvious answer is no, and that's what we're here to fix right now. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine with another survival podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and patriot. And joining us today to discuss simple ways that you can safeguard your most precious life-giving resource is author and survival expert Frank F.J. Bohan. Hello, Frank. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be here. I always love having you back on here, so welcome. Now, listen, everybody, with over 30 years' experience as a survivalist and a homesteader, F.J. believes that helping others to prepare can only make our country and our communities stronger when a crisis occurs. He's the author of three books, Living on the Edge, A Family's Journey to Self-Sufficiency, Barbed Wire, Barricades, and Bunkers, and for our purposes today, Emergency Air for Shelter-in-Place Preppers and Home-Built Bunkers. Now, his books address how the average low- to middle-income survivalist can enjoy the same level of security and preparedness as the elite and the wealthy when it comes to protecting yourself and those you love. And that's exactly why we're speaking with him today. You can learn more about Frank and his training on our website. If you go to the instructors section and look him up there, you'll find his bio as well as links over to his works that are there as well. Now, Frank, why is air filtration such an important factor in a shelter-in-place scenario? I mean, like what specific threats could an air system protect against that most people aren't considering? Well, the first thing, Jeff, that comes to mind is when people follow the advice of FEMA 
for the CDC to shelter in place, and they've called for uh, an airborne threat. They've asked you to seal up in your house with, with duct tape and plastic sheeting. And uh, that's, that's pretty much what I address, that type of scenario. It's all well and fine if you have a source of breathable air. And I think what most people fail to understand is that breathable air is only what's in the room that you're sealed in. Uh, the threat outside might be a, uh, a dirty bomb threat. You know, that's the type of uh, uh, a nuclear material that it's exploded with a conventional uh, dispersion device. Uh, it could be nuclear fallout, which would indicate uh, some sort of a nuclear bomb being detonated further down uh, where the weather pattern would then bring that mushroom cloud towards you and it would fall on your location. Or it could be something like a threat like anthrax, which is a, a biological solid in the air, a dust, so to speak. Uh, or, or it could be something like recently we were talking about Ebola, uh, and the question is, is it a, an airborne pandemic? Uh, it could just as easily be the common cold, you know, people sneezing and, and the common cold is, is spread. But what you need to do is you, you must be able to filter these things from your breathable air. Otherwise, what's the sense of being sheltered? And if you're sheltered where you're going to suffocate because you actually run out of air, then what's the point? You may as well be exposed to the threat outside. Yeah, I mean that's an important that's an important point, and I and I think a lot of people don't think about that either. I mean, you know, the most obvious solution that most people might think about or preparing for would be just to seal yourself off in your room. I mean, and and we've seen articles on that. In fact, you know, I think that's even you know the government that's as far as they have gone. You know, just with duct tape and plastic wrap, seal off every little crevice that you can where air might get in, and that should be enough to take care of you. So. You talk about this, I know, in your book, but why isn't this the best option? Well, I, I'm all for sheltering in place using duct tape and plastic sheeting, but the caveat is that you have to know exactly how much breathable air is in that room. And uh, I think that most people, and, and I'll add some very high-level officials that I've spoken to, they believe that there is, and I'll quote, enough air in the room. And, and when you ask, well, how much is enough, you, there's variables like how many people are in the room. If you have a, a living room with a family of four, there's a certain amount of breathable air. But as soon as you bring in three more families from the neighborhood, you just cut that breathable air supply, you know, by a, by a substantial amount. So if you if you had an hour of breathable air, you know, now you have 10 minutes of breathable air because you've added more people. Uh, what I try to do is I've taken uh, really the formula that, uh, that FEMA gives for determining a, uh, an amount of breathable air. It's pretty simple math. It's outlined in my book. But you should be able to measure your room and then factor in how many people are involved, and you'll be able to know when the level of breathable air, and what we're talking about is oxygen ratio in the air, when it reaches a level that OSHA determines is a dangerous level. 
Now, see, OSHA sets safety standards for workers, and they won't let you enter an environment that doesn't have enough breathable air. So, really, I'm just kind of pointing out all of these government standards that are from different agencies and saying, hey, everybody has to understand that when you seal off that room, you are creating an environment that is dangerous by OSHA standards. Now we have to fix that, and you have to fix it with some sort of resupply of breathable air. How would they know that? I mean, uh, if somebody were in a room, like I said, people don't think about that you're going to run out of oxygen at some point. You know, I know the the body gives, you know, it takes in oxygen, but it gives off carbon dioxide, and over time, you're basically contaminating that air with every exhale that you put in there, especially if it truly is sealed off. What, how would somebody know, like what would they experience if the oxygen starts getting low and the, the levels of CO2 start to increase? You know, the, there's two examples that come to mind. The first one, anyone who's seen Apollo 13 knows that they face that low oxygen scenario. But uh, they have some pretty exotic equipment on board of uh, spacecraft, so we can't use that as our example. But if you think about going to the Saturday matinee and the theater's closed off and you've got 300 people in what amounts to a, a relatively sealed room, uh, about halfway through the show, the, the ushers have to open up the doors at the bottom of the theater right there by, you know, left and right of the, the big screen. Hmm. And, the, and the reason for that is that it's a sloped floor so that everyone can see the screen. And the CO2, which is the, the gas we exhale, when we, when we inhale air, we take the oxygen out of the air and we exhale carbon dioxide. Well, that carbon dioxide molecularly is heavier than oxygen. And so it settles in the bottom of the theater at the floor. And all those folks that are sitting down at the bottom, they're actually breathing higher concentrations of CO2 and less oxygen. And they start to feel sleepy. You know, everyone may have attributed it to a boring film, but it's really that they're inhaling CO2. And ultimately, if, if fresh air wasn't brought into the theater, you'd have people starting to, to suffer from hypoxia, which is, you know, lack of uh, high concentrations of air, and they'd, they'd simply go to sleep. So you've got sleeping. So with hypoxia, I mean, just from like a medical standpoint, you've got, you've got sleepiness. There's, they could feel dizzy, maybe headaches, um, you know, hard time breathing, which is pretty obvious. I mean, if you're not getting enough oxygen, it's going to be maybe harder to breathe. And it, and it kind of comes on, I have to imagine it comes on slowly. It's not like a, an all of a sudden panic sort of thing, but you might notice that you're you're getting tired and you get a headache, and then all of a sudden you know you're blurry, your your vision gets a little bit blurry, or you start feeling dizzy, things like that. Those are all have got to be immediate signs that we've got a problem here. Exactly, and they do come on slowly. Yeah. And it, if you can imagine a sealed room with the family that's trying to protect their children against an outside threat, an airborne threat, uh, you know they might start to feel a bit sleepy. And the children, the first thing they might do is lay the kids on the floor and let them take a nap. Mm -hmm. and of course, that could be the worst the case worst scenario thing. for yeah. those kids. Yeah, because like you're saying, I mean, that's where the CO2, it goes down. So you're putting them down where there's even more poisonous gas. 
Exactly. And and these are kinds of things that I just don't see average Americans or, or even preppers fully understanding. Mm. And, it, and to me, one of the, the biggest tragedies that could happen is that a region of people respond to a call to shelter in place and the threat may or may not manifest itself outside their door, but people will perish because within two hours or so, they've run out of breathable air, but they've never heard back from an authority that it's safe to go outside. Wow. And their fear would keep them from opening that door and letting fresh air back into the house. Oh, great point. Great point. So we'll this is why I came up with, with a process by which people can very easily, very readily, with with common things you can buy down at the hardware store, put together a system that is going to replenish breathable air to their shelter. Well, that's great, and that's exactly what we're going to get into next. I mean, we're talking with Frank Bohan about how to provide you and your family with clean, breathable air in the event of a radiological, biological pandemic or other crisis. Now, we're going to be back here in just a minute to talk about real solutions that you can put in place now to secure your shelter-in-place location. But first, check out this message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Frank Bohan, and uh, we're here to discuss how to create your own emergency air survival plan for a shelter-in-place emergency. Now, Frank, we know that simply sealing yourself away with duct tape and plastic wrap isn't going to be enough in a real radiological, biological, or pandemic scenario. So, so what is the best I guess the best way to plan for an emergency air in a crisis, um, just as like a kind of a general, like here's here's how we 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 would prepare. Short of actually, we'll talk about the equipment and putting it all together and stuff now. But what's the best mindset for people to go into with with securing this part of their plan? Jeff, the uh, obviously the first thing I'm going to suggest is you buy my book, Emergency Air, uh, <laughs> right? Because it it will outline everything you need to build a system, but but truly, the uh, having duct tape, plastic sheeting, 
knowing how many windows and doors, planning ahead to see which room is going to be the best room for you to choose. All of these things need to be thought of beforehand. Uh, the worst time you could have to uh, to be caught needing to, to shop for these things is when there's a thousand other people, you know, running down to the hardware store to buy just the same. I think we all saw this when the, the government first made that suggestion. People like Lowe's and Home Depot were sold out of duct tape and plastic sheeting. You know, everybody stocked up. Uh, part of that was that anthrax scare as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my system, the, when there is power to your house and you have electricity, it employs a, a common sh- vacuum cleaner. Uh, so I'm, you take that vacuum cleaner and you're also going to need what's called a HEPA filter. That's H-E-P-A. Uh, it's a high-efficiency particulate filter that filters out uh, 99.97% of, of solids out of the air. And this is what we're trying to get out of uh, our, our breathable air, contaminants. And if you imagine, we're going to run this vacuum cleaner sort of inverse and no load, so to speak. You know, we're not vacuuming the floor. We're going to actually vacuum outside air and run that outside air through the filter and catch those contaminants. And then what you have blowing into the house or into your sheltered room is breathable air that has been filtered of any contaminants that the the HEPA filter can actually catch. So that brings up, so so really, I mean, part of it is is in the instructions that people are given. Like, you're definitely going to need duct tape. You're going to need um, – so, so you need a way to seal out the outside air. And then um, something you, you've talked about before, which is understanding – well, I guess, you know, choosing the right room. And I guess maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But choosing the right room that you can seal off that will give you, I guess, even enough space. Because the other thing you talk about is – knowing the limits of the space that you have, like how much breathable air do you have? Like when you seal it off, how much breathable air will you have in there? And then because that is a finite amount that people need to understand that um, it's not just amount, about the amount of oxygen in there, but also the amount of CO2 that you give off that poisons the air, that limits it as well. So knowing what those limits are, but then because at some point, if it's an extended period of time, you're going to have to shift that balance by bringing in healthy, clean outside air. You need a, a means of making sure that if it is contaminated air out there, that you're you're going to need to filter that so you breathe in, you bring in clean air. So so let's go ahead and, and pick it up from there then. So for somebody to get started right away today, like in the, the simplest and least expensive way, you know, you talk about there are things that you can get right down at your local Home Depot or something. So what exactly, what equipment should they collect and what should they put in their, in their grocery, not their grocery cart, but their, you know, in their shopping cart when they go down there that they can, they can get started with? Well, obviously, the, the, there's much duct tape and uh, I, I would have a, a extra roll or two of duct tape and, and enough plastic sheeting, of course, to do every door and window uh, and, and air conditioning or heating ventilation duct that's in the house. Uh, older homes that breathe more that have, you know, wider gaps in the windows might need additional things like caulk. Uh, if you have a, 
a house that has drywall, you should be able to be able to make a, a nice seal against the drywall between the plastic sheeting and the, and the interior wall. Uh, but if you have a stone house, obviously you're going to have to figure out a way to make it a, a nice seal, right? Yeah, because the duct tape doesn't the duct tape doesn't really doesn't always cling very well to like cement and things like that. So I guess like no. having some sort of like a an adhesive caulk, you can quickly. I guess you can like you know you can put a, a line down and then press the plastic up against it, and that should fit better, right? That should work better. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't think about so that. you have to really know your house or your home or your your yeah. office or wherever it is you think that you're going to be preparing for these types of uh, threats. Gotcha. Uh, yep. The next item is is a vacuum cleaner. And just because of the volume uh, that it that it covers and the size of the HEPA filter that's available for it, my personal belief is a shop vac type vacuum cleaner is the best. Uh, it could be, you know, any brand name, but I think everybody understands like a wet dry vac. They're the mm-hmm. larger ones that people use in their workshops or, uh, you know, they're also built to, to vacuum up, uh, you know, wet, <clears throat> wet environments. But because they manufacture HEPA filters that are large size to fit those types of vacuums, that's what's going to suit our purpose the best because we want to be able to stay inside our shelter as long as possible. Uh, if you can imagine, a, let's say that uh, Yellowstone finally blew, that we had a volcanic event, and you've got volcanic ash in the air, you know, this is something that you're going to want to filter out from your breathing, and it's going to quickly clog any filter. So the, the larger the filter, the better off we are. And in a case like uh, volcanic ash or even, let's say, nuclear fallout, uh, depending upon your location in proximity to wherever the event was, you may have heavy fallout dust raining down on your location. So you, you also want what I'm going to call a pre-filter. We don't want to take these big old clogs of dust immediately into our vacuum. Let's pre-filter them and, and you can usually find uh, a cloth mesh of some sort of filter material at these hardware stores that would work very well as this pre-filter. And I would suggest putting that over the vacuum wand end of the vacuum cleaner mm-hmm. so that that's the first place air gets filtered with any heavy particles. And that's going to keep leaves and insects out of your filter as well. They can clog it up. Once once you have those items, you're also going to need uh, additional tape. And I use this metal foil tape simply because it's uh, it, it adheres to anything and it's bendable. It's it's a, sh- a shapeable tape. But you can also use duct tape because you want to seal all opportunities and joints inside this vacuum cleaner so that we're absolutely certain that all the air that comes into the vacuum passes through the, the HEPA filter and that there's no other opportunities for air to pass anywhere through the system other than through that HEPA filter. Mm-hmm. So really your duct tape, this metal tape, uh, the vacuum cleaner, your HEPA filter, 
And depending upon what your outlook is, if you think that the event that you're sheltering against is going to be long-term, I would have backups. I would have two of these vacuums. I'd have two or three of these HEPA filters. And the reason I say that is because, for instance, if this was a nuclear event, nuclear fallout, and indeed you are in an area that, that fallout is raining down on, that vacuum cleaner now becomes a containment unit for whatever the toxic environment is. So that's now a radioactive containment unit uh, inside that vacuum. You don't want to be, when the time comes that that filter becomes clogged, you don't want to have to open that up and be dealing with radioactive dust. You, you really would just want to disconnect the wand plug the hole and, and take it outside or set it outside through a door and have a whole new fresh unit ready to plug in and, and start filtering air again. Yeah, that's a good point. And those shop facts really aren't very expensive, you know, and they're um they've, they've come down a lot in price. I mean they're a pretty pretty simple unit, so that makes uh, a lot of sense. I think the last one I picked up was forty dollars and I think I spent close to forty dollars for the HEPA filter. Yeah. So I think for about uh, under a hundred bucks, uh, and that would probably include the duct tape. You could have pretty much what you need to have the air pump and the filter in place. Uh, add to it, like I say, any duct tape or plastic sheeting you need for the house. Now, see, just in my my own instance, our house is kind of uh, a small footprint, and my plan is to seal the entire first floor. So I have enough tape and and plastic sheeting to seal every window and door and, and of course, my HVAC ducts all over the first floor of the house. So I'll have access, you know, to a kitchen and I'll have access to the restroom and the, sh- and the shower and those sorts of things uh, for, for a long-term stay. Uh, so a lot that, of people are going to be. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say that that is a good point. So, in like somebody in in them kind of looking at their house and what is the best location. Like I'm trying to go through my mind also. Like, okay, what is the what is the best location? Is, are there any are there any specific points? So it does make sense to have access to a bathroom. hadn't hadn't thought about that. So um, so there there's that. Is there are there anything like? Does it matter if it's if it's a, a top floor or a bottom floor, or obviously you need some access to the outside, it can't be an interior room, but are there any other specific things to, to consider? Well, uh, it depends on the threat. If the threat were nuclear, nuclear fallout or, or even a dirty bomb, and you happen to be in very close proximity to uh, the nuclear material that was dispersed, I'd want to be in a basement uh, area if such exists simply because I want that extra uh, mass of earth between me and the outside threat uh, to, to, to lessen the effects of radio, radiation on, on myself and my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you were fighting a, a tear gas situation and you were in your home, you might be better off on the top floor because tear gas typically is a ground level uh, 
weapon that's used. And uh, it's going to penetrate perhaps the first floor, but it's a heavier-than-air gas, so it's going to stay down low, and you're going to be up on the second floor probably out of its effective range. Mm -hmm. We really need to do some research, and I point out a lot of these in the book. But you do need to, to kind of do your own assessment and decide what it is you feel the threat is going to be, and you prepare for whatever that threat might be in your region. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so so we have all of our materials now. So and, and it seems like they're very basic materials. So what's the what's the best way to go ahead and you know we have our locations selected. We have access to a window where we can you know we have access to outside you know, air to filter in. So how do we put this gizmo together so that we can get some clean air inside of our, our sealed-off location? Well, I, I take that, uh, I take my window, okay? And uh, my particular, my house has storm windows on it. And so what I've done is that I, I open the storm window by about two inches, and then the primary window uh, I have, blocked open only about three or four inches and my plastic sheeting covers the entire window but I've cut a slit in the plastic sheeting and I've taped my uh, you know it's the floor wand if you were going to vacuum the floor it mm-hmm. comes with your your shop vac it's the wand that you would put at the, the bottom of the, the stick to to get the widest pickup and I've taped that now to this slit opening in the plastic, and this is going to be my air intake. And I've also taken whatever that pre-filter material I could find. And if you can't find something you think is adequate, you know, even a T-shirt, cut up a T-shirt and uh, tape that over the opening so that we know air will pass through it, but a T-shirt, the fabric will keep, uh, you know, bugs or leaves or heavy material from being sucked in through the vacuum, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. So that'll stop your heavy material. All along that hose, at every joint, you want to tape it solid so that there's no uh, air coming past that joint. And you do that all the way to the vacuum itself, and even where that hose goes into the vacuum, you want that joint and that seam sealed off with more duct tape. Uh taking your HEPA filter where it connects to the the head of the vacuum all along that seam you want to run duct tape and you know my uh, my own experience has proven that you don't take a, a three foot piece of duct tape and wrap it around you know like you're you're making a mummy or something you really want to take small pieces of tape and be real conscious about turning the corner and more like like you would do step flashing on the side of a house. You just want to keep going around the filter to make sure you have a positive seal and, you know, use good thumb pressure to make sure that the adhesive is sticking to the uh, both sides of where this, this seal has to go. But once you've done that and you put the head back on the vacuum, now we're concerned about containment of whatever you catch and filter from the air, and that's where you need to seal, again, with duct tape or or this metal uh, foil tape, the seam between the the drum 
part of this vacuum and where the head slips over top and latches on. So there is quite a bit of tape involved here. Mm. Uh, and it's certainly a, a interesting project to sit down and tape this thing up. But once you've done this, you now have a vacuum that draws outside air and draws air through the HEPA filter. And then the exhaust portion of your vacuum cleaner becomes the fresh air outlet into your room. Uh, now, in my book, Jeff, I go ahead and I, I give you the formula of how to, to determine breathable air in a room. And depending on what the threat might be, my suggestion might be to run this vacuum 15 minutes every hour. Uh, you're running it at what we call no load. Uh, you know how if you're vacuuming the floor and you hit a dust bunny, the, the vacuum engine winds up and, and makes a higher pitched noise. Yeah. Well, that's, that's under load. And if you're constantly under load, a vacuum can wear out faster than what we call no load. So this, this particular, uh, use of a vacuum should have a very long life because you're running it, as I say, under no load. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, like I say, you, you you have this outlet of fresh air now coming into the room. You determine the size of your room and how many people, and, and you have a clock. And I strongly urge that you have a running clock, maybe even put one on the wall or have an alarm clock available because if there's a large number of people in a room, and and you've got to keep track of how many minutes of breathable air you have before you ventilate. You're going to want to make sure you you hit the mark and you don't wait too long before you ventilate the room. Yeah, good point. You know, Frank, one of the um, you know right right now there's a in the news is the is the the Ebola is a problem and things like that. And pandemics are always going to be you know a hot item. Is this something that could be useful? I mean, if things do get really bad in any sort of a biological pandemic or a virus or something like that, does does the HEPA filter, is that going to be beneficial for this sort of a, like creating like a quarantine type room? It, actually, Jeff, it, it is. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll point to what the hospitals refer to as a flow room. A lot of times, uh, if you've had any family member that's had the, the, the misfortune of going through a chemotherapy for, for cancer, one of the things that uh, the side effects of chemotherapy is it knocks out their immune system. And when your immune system is down, something such as the common cold virus can be fatal if, if caught. And so what typically happens is that they put these patients into what's called a flow room. And it's a, a positive air pressure inside a room so that no outside air comes in. And that's in essence what we're doing. We're creating a, a positive and overpressure with the vacuum. And the vacuum pump is enough to create an overpressure inside the room that you're in. So that uh, when, when we seal this room, we're actually going to, every time we run this pump, we're actually going to lift a... Uh, a port at the floor into the next room or even at an outside door, have it open enough and and unsealed at the base 
so that the overpressure created by the vacuum blows out the CO2 that's at the floor level because mm-hmm. it's heavier out that port. All right. Uh, hospitals protect patients with HEPA filters and overpressure. Uh, if you look at FEMA, or I guess it's under Homeland Security, is issued guidelines for a safe room. They recommend, you know, the same type of system that's an overpressure to keep uh, the air in the, the safe room flowing out of the room, okay? Now, if, if Ebola was determined to be a airborne pathogen, and if I found out that my neighbors had Ebola and I was fearful for going outside because of the situation, my first response would be to set the system up, and I would most likely be running it most of the time. I would want to create that overpressure, keep the overpressure in the house, uh, run it as long as possible. Uh, it'd be good to have a backup. You know, they're talking about incubation times of uh, 21 days from exposure, and they think it might even be longer than that. So, you know, you might be talking about being sheltered up under that worst-case scenario for for up to two months until some sort of all-clear was issued by, you know, that remains to be seen. What authority is going to say it's all-clear? Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this kind of system can help protect you against pandemics. And it's for a different reason, Jeff. Uh, viruses are so small that they would typically pass through a HEPA filter. But what happens is that once that filter is turned on, the vacuum is running, an electrostatic shield is generated around that filter, and viruses lack the mass to penetrate that shield. Hmm. And so it, it does protect, but it's for a different reason than, uh, than solids in the air. Yeah. Well, I got, I got to tell you, this is um, like I said, this is this is something that most people don't even think about. We're so focused on food, we're so focused on water that we we take air for granted that it's always going to be there for us, and obviously that's not always the case. And so uh, th- I don't think there's any other book out there like this, and so I definitely recommend that everybody get it. Um, you know, look, it's. Because the, the one thing I like about your book is that it takes into account like worst case scenarios. Like, what if it's a grid down situation? What if the power grid goes down? And you don't have electricity. Well, you're going to have a hard time running, you know, that shop vac and that and that filter that you have built. So, so this is a good starting point that we just went over, and this will definitely give you something to at least take care of your immediate needs. But that should only be in the meantime while you're waiting for Frank's book to show up in your in your mailbox because. He has much more elaborate systems in there that are still very easy to build yourself with items right straight down from Home Depot and um, something that will really give you a dependable source, even in the lack of in the in the absence of electricity in some cases. So plus, there's also some information in there on shelters themselves and some things like that. It's a really it's really a great read. So make sure that you go over to our website at moderncombatandsurvival.com and look Frank up uh, FJ Bohan in the the instructor section there, the, the expert section, and you'll find a link over to the emergency air book there. You can get it directly, or you can just go on to Amazon and go get it there. It's available there. Uh, but definitely, it's a must-have, in my opinion, for any sort of a shelter-in-place scenario. So go check it out. Uh, you know, Frank, 
thanks so much for for joining us today. It, it really is appreciated, and I, I really admire your willingness to get this information out, especially during times when people need this information the most, which is right now there's a big scare going on out there. So so definitely appreciate that. So look, everybody, uh, thanks so much for joining us. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.